Group, we are going to be introducing you to Dylan and Kristen. Uh, today, the session will go as follows. Dylan will cover the area of the importance of employee buying on the changing terms. He's going to be talking about the power of mutual agreement. And then Kristen will jump in right there and she'll be discussing with you guys changing employment contracts. And then we'll go over to question and answer session. So right over to you, Dylan and Kristen. All right, thank you so much, um, Kamisha. And good morning to all participants. And thank you all for joining the webinar this morning. Now, as you are all aware, this is no longer business as usual. Uh, we are no longer operating in an environment where anything should or will be taken lightly. Therefore, you as employers and also employees will have to work hand in hand to find the best, the best solution for the business continuity in light of this global um, pandemic, which we are currently faced with. Um, as Kamisha alluded to, in today's webinar, we will touch briefly on getting employees buy-in on changing terms, the power of mutual agreement and changing employment contracts. Now, with regards to the changing of employment contracts, our our attorney at law, Kristen, will be able to provide a legal perspective on this to ensure that we, the employers, are doing it the right way the first time because we know not doing it the right way, there are severe consequences for doing such. So getting right into the, the topics, our topic at hand, getting employees buy-in and changing the terms. Now, there are two sides to this equation in the business setting. So there's the unionized environment, and then there's the non-unionized environment. Now, with respect to the unionized environment, this is the time really to engage and show or have an act of good faith and willingness to work with the unions in an effort to, of implementing some very sound temporary changes, because we all know there are gonna be temporary changes as opposed to fixed changes. Well, with the non-unionized environments, this is a time for a unified front on making things happen in these um, trying times. So both environments will be required to have a level or show a level of transparency, be confident, trustworthy, genuine, and will have to engage in some clear and concise dialogue to get the buy-in with regards to making any changes to any terms that may already exist. Therefore, um, it's imperative that you have a strong pitch. And when I use the word strong, I mean extremely strong pitch. Now, things like communicating what's happening, what's changing, that those things are very paramount at this time. Um, make sure that you have a persuasive, but yet genuine, not only persuasive, but also a very genuine pitch because persons, employees know when you are not being 110% truthful with them because they know the realities of the situation. So that's why you have to make sure that with this pitch is one that's also very genuine. And that will include a strong and compelling story that you'll be delivering to, to the employees. Now, it should answer some key questions which employees are likely to have, which will include why the change is happening, how it impacts the business, the key goals and objectives the change is designed to meet, 
And most importantly, how long is the change expected to remain in effect? And the reason why I want to spend a little time on that one is because we all know these are temporary fixes that we are trying to put um, in place. And the reality of the situation is, is that employees will want to know what is the specific time frame for this temporary change to potentially come to, to an end. Now, I know, and sorry, I don't know, nor neither do you know when this is gonna come to an end. We're hoping sooner than later. But we, at this point, we are unsure as to how we're gonna move forward and maybe we're gonna be back to business as usual. However, setting, a, 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 I wanna say a realistic time frame to review, reanalyze and give back, give an update to the employees as to how the company is gonna be moving forward is gonna be very important. And also communicating to them somewhere throughout the, the process, giving them an update and saying, well, let's say the business gets back to usual within the next couple of weeks, two weeks or so, but you set a month time frame. You know, allow the employees to know that they will revert to their substantive terms and conditions once the business is back to you, back to usual. If at the time, at the end of it, so let's say you reach the end of the month and there's no improvement, then of course you re-engage in dialogue with the employees so that they are fully aware that listen, we haven't shown any improvement. We are still really trying to keep our heads above the waters. And that being said, we may have to extend these terms and conditions. And persons will understand that because you are being upfront with them and keeping them in the loop. Now, with regards to the buy-in, this is a from the top down approach should be used. So gaining support from leaders at different levels within the organization will make your pitch even stronger. So getting like, the key stakeholders involved would definitely help with the delivery of this information. Now in conducting training at numerous countries, I mean, sorry, numerous companies across the island, I would realize that some employees would have stated, for example, the CEO or the general manager, that they are based on island. And they would have been with the company for, this is the employee, been with the company for, let's say, two to three years. And they probably only have seen that CEO or general manager only one single time. Never ever saw them again in their whole time of being in the organization. Never know. At that time, the employees may want to hear from the general manager or the CEO with regards to what is happening. Or they may not want to hear from the CEO or the general manager. They may want to hear from a, 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 I want to say, a good influencer or a strong influencer that would be able to deliver the information, convey the message with confidence, and build the trust that is required so that the employees will get on board to say, yes, we will conform. We understand there's not business as usual, so everything cannot be the same, and we would tackle this together um, as a team, as one body. And that is what you will have to try to drive home and have embedded into all of their heads so that they know that it is one body and is one movement and one direction that the company is going in. Now, you also said to be transparent. I'm not gonna talk about transparency a whole lot, well, not that long, but not that much. But I will talk about transparency a lot because in getting buy-in, transparency is going to be very, very important. Um, communication is key to preventing the underlying concerns and gossip about how this change is actually going to pan out within your organization. And you want to make sure that the narrative that is being portrayed or being shared with the employees is one that 
is clear and is one that you want everyone to make sure they have a clear and a better understanding of it. So that's why, as I said earlier, the person who's delivering this information or trying to convey this information to the employees need to be that strong influencer or that key stakeholder that the employees would definitely get the message across and be able to get the buy-in. In addition to that, it's also very important for employees to know that their feedback and ideas are being acknowledged when they voice them. Because at the end of the day, they want to feel as part of the process. So yes, they're going to have a lot of rebuttals that you're going to have to, you know, have to, to overcome these rebuttals and be able to answer these questions. So even before going to the meetings, you may want to make sure you have a, a, I want to say a comprehensive sound plan and structure behind how you intend to deliver this information to the employees and what type of questions you perceive may come up so that you have the answers to provide to the employees at that time. Now, I know this may pose a challenge for some larger um, organizations because in terms of like collecting and addressing the feedback from everyone may be pretty time consuming and we know time is not on our side at this time. We need to really make sure that we have some swift, some swift transitions and um, new implementation of policies and terms are changing terms and conditions at this time. But you should still have, um, a, I want to say, a sound mechanism in place that you can at least address the majority and do so um, in a timely manner. Now, with the mutual agreement, now the common rule which exists in common in contract law is that you cannot unilaterally make, unilaterally make changes to a contract. And I mean, like, that's like the fundamental rule. And I'm sure that uh, Christine will elaborate somewhat more on that. But I know in my studies and such, that's one of the first thing that they shared with us is that you cannot unilaterally make changes to a person's contracts. However, I would allow, however, mutual agreement is very imperative and it's also necessary in order for you to proceed at this time. So it should be a natural process with engagement or dialogue between the employee and the employer in an effort to go ahead and make these changes. Now, as an employer, you'll be expected to be tactful, confident, again, transparent, and be able to place yourself in the employee's shoes in an effort to get that buy-in that you require for that mutual agreement. Now, as indicated earlier, in unionized environments, these, um, these discussions will be between yourself, the employer, the employee, and the recognized trade union. Whilst for the non-unionized environments, these discussions will be between you and the actual employees. Now, I know based on how several of our contractual agreements and legislations, how they are written, that we may have to, or you may have no other choice but to capitalize our mutual agreement in an effort to become more efficient and have a sound business continuity plan during this period. That's the only way it's going to work. You have to get the employees and extension, the union for unionized environments to say yes. And you just can't go with the, the whip and say, it's time to say yes, you have to say yes. You know, it's more of really engaging in that dialogue. 
So like one of these um, examples that came up would have been with the, the holiday with pay. So many companies have taken the, as I say, okay, I'm going to place my persons on holiday. Now, if you would know, with regards to placing persons on holiday, the app would say you need to at least give 16, 16, 14, sorry, not 16, 14 days prior to the commencement or even making any amendment, 14 days before you do that. But in some instances, you may have to ask the employee, which is happening now, to take their employee with, take their vacation with immediate effect. Mm -hmm. Now, just saying take the holiday may not be the best approach because they may, some of them may have, you know, I may plan to travel later this year because I may get better, and they may want to know why I have to take it. So you may, may have to have that rebuttal in place or the, the clear explanation to give to them as a, to indicate, well, hey, this is why you need to take this. So like for example, the only other option or alternative an employer may have outside of vacation um, may be, let's say, to place persons on layoff. Now, with the layoff process, you know that the tourism industry, they were severely impacted um, with regards to the COVID-19 and numerous persons, they had to be placed on layoff. So we can imagine um, the amount of persons that I'm going to send in their, their, some, their termination layoff certificates to NIS. And also, so the turnaround time, we're not aware what that turnaround time is going to be as yet in terms of getting compensation or compensation from NIS. And then there's, you will receive, if I'm not mistaken, 60% of your weekly wages. So it's best that we put you on holiday now where then you receive almost like a say, because most persons do pay as normal. So you receive your full wages for the period in which that you may be on holiday, as opposed to having to wait for the transition or the, the, the process to go through with regards to the layoff and then receive 60% of your uh, weekly wages. Another example would have been like reducing hours from um, the 40 hour, the regular 40 hour work week to let's say 30 hours. This will definitely be a temporary change, but will still require mutual agreement and buy-in from employees, um, especially within the unionized environments where there may be more, where more conciliation is required in comparison to the non-unionized environment. But nevertheless, both unionized and non-unionized environments, you need to get yes. You need to, I know there's that, but getting to yes, you need to be able to get to yes um, with regards to trying to get the buy-in of the employees. So, uh, guys, there's a lot of things happening and in a very short time, and there's not a play on words with regards to short time. And I implore you to start having open discussions with your staff and or the union to bring about the change you want to see temporarily within your organizations. Um, not sure if everyone was able to hear the address from Mr. Jordan last night, where he indicated that legislation is still applicable and should be adhered to, and that employers should, should have been placing contingency plans in place from weeks ago. Um, however, the social partnership, they would, have been, they would have met last night into today in an effort to provide the public and also the private sector with some valuable information with regards to how to deal with the pandemic from a, from a labor perspective. Um, that being said, at this time, I will hand over to Kristen to be able to provide or give us some clarity from a legal perspective on how we can make changes uh, with regards to the contracts of employment. So Kristen, over to you. 
Good morning, everyone. Um, thank you so much, Dylan. I think your introduction was so practical. Um, your presentation so far has been so practical and expressing a lot of the concerns and addressing a lot of the changes that need to be made. Um, it has to be understood that this is a fluid situation. Um, there are legal implications of everyone's actions, but some of these implications have never been explored before. And that is one of the things that we have to bear in mind. Um, in these situations, the types of changes that I can see an employer looking like they might have to make, maybe for example, to the mode of work. Um, There's some businesses that they simply will not be able to continue earning doing business the way that they did before. They have to alter how they deliver um, their services. For example, a restaurant that has a waitress. Um, the, the waitress will no longer be serving people at tables. They may have to do curbside delivery. It may be a situation in which they have to look at doing deliveries to people's homes. And the question is, do you lay off the people who would ordinarily be delivering to some, um, someone's table? Or do you provide them with an option to participate in delivery to homes, to businesses? Um, do you make adjustments and say, well, we're going to do curbside and this is how you're going to do it. And these are the health and safety considerations that we're going to employ to make sure that you are safe in so doing. Those are the types of questions that arise now, even with other businesses. For example, yesterday we spoke about um, working from remote locations, but working virtually. That is a difference in your employment contract because that's a, different, a difference in the way that you're delivering um, your service as an employee to your employer. Um, we have questions of salary, um, changes in, in, in employee salary, hours of work, um, reducing their pay, and yet asking them to work the same number of hours, or reducing both in terms of time and in terms of salary, looking at safety policies and procedures that you now need to adjust, um, requiring employees to adhere to certain policies now for not only their safety, but the safety of other employees. Those are the types of changes to the employment contract that employers at this time might be considering. But even though it's a fluid situation, we can look at it from first principles. At the end of the day, an employment arrangement is simply a contract. It is an agreement between two parties. One person is going to provide a service the other to the employer in the way that has been agreed and discussed and the employer is going to pay the employee for that. There are certain obligations that are implied in law now, um, the safety and health obligations that are now part of the contract that it is taken that all parties are agreeing are part of the contract. You can't agree to not adhere to safety and health at work legislation. You have to comply with that. Um, but as I said, it is still just a contract, which means that in respect of the aspects of the arrangement that I mentioned just now, salary, mode of work, um, adhering to new safety policies to ensure that you comply with the legislation, um, even holiday locations of work, all of that is subject to variation once the employee and the employer agree as to how that is to happen. All of that can be varied. The only question is, how are you going to do that? 
And that goes back to Dylan's point about getting the employee to say yes. In very practical terms, an employer should, where possible, engage their employees in a discussion and not simply say you are now doing X or this is what is going to happen. There should be a discussion. The employer, it depends on the size of the organization. If you have a small organization, the employer may be able to sit down with each employee and do that. If you have a larger organization, the expectation is that you would have um, supervisors at various levels who can, who can express those things. So the employer would speak to the supervisors and explain what the situation is, get the buy-in from the supervisors, the supervisors then filter that down to other employees, for example. But agreement is what is key. Now, this being a situation which I think most of us anticipated to be temporary, which means that these changes, salary, mode of work, um, delivery of the service, even working from home, these are expected to be temporary arrangements. And as such, any discussion with the employee should be framed in that the business continues to earn so i recommend a conversation with your staff um, at varying levels as the first step and then framing that in the context of something being temporary so you indicate that we are doing it for we're proposing to do it for this period of time it can be one month, it can be two months. If you anticipate it's going to be three months, like for example, someone in the tourism sector may say three months because they expect it might take that amount of time for, um, for things to come back to relative normalcy. But you can identify a time frame, which may be two weeks or a month. And as Dylan mentioned, reevaluate at that time. Um, that is something that employees are likely to be more comfortable with because you, if you say to someone, well, I'm gonna ask you to come in to work, but I can't pay you um, your full salary. I can pay you 10% less. The employee may be concerned that that is a permanent arrangement you're trying to implement, and therefore they're unlikely to agree to it. But if you say to them, this is for a month, and it's better that I actually be able to pay you something now upfront in your hand that you can know that I will give you, than to have to wait whatever period of time national insurance um, is in a position to distribute payments to people. Um, but that, as I said, is best then when you set a time frame, and that is, and it's very clear on that. Um, any changes to how you expect the employee to do business, how you expect the employee to perform under the contract, you need to make it very clear. So a preliminary discussion, as I said, is important. I actually think it's useful to ask the employee how they can see it working because people are more likely to agree to things where they feel like their views are being considered and not being imposed um, on them. Once you have that agreement, once you've come to clarity on what that is, the next step is to reduce it to writing. Now, ideally, employers would all have written contracts with their employees, but we know that they don't. We know that all employers do not, notwithstanding that the law has changed and required it. So at this stage, those who have written contracts may want to apply an addendum to that particular contract. And that addendum can specify that as a result of, you can even be so specific to speak about COVID-19 in your addendum. And to say that insofar as in light of COVID-19, there is a reduction in um, 
the type of service that this employee would ordinarily perform. And therefore, for this period of time, the employee is going to be able to, is going, has agreed to perform these particular services, which may be in addition to what they ordinarily do, or they may be completely different um, services that they're providing. If you do not have a written contract, obviously this might be a better time to yourself. It's possible you can write a contract, it's just an agreement. But the challenge with it is that sometimes you don't always know all the implications of it and the overall context. So sometimes it's better to speak to a human resources specialist or even an attorney at law about that. Um, but if you don't have a full written agreement, you at this point may at least be prepared to have um, a job description prepared that the employee signs off on. And that job description can say, these are the ordinary duties of the employee for this defined period the employee is agreeing to perform these additional functions as and when required. Or the employee is agreeing um, to work from, to perform these services from this particular location if you're looking at remote work. Um, that, that's how you might want to do it. But as I said, it all starts with a conversation with the person, engaging them, trying to come to, um, not get them to agree to what you want, but actually getting everybody to agree to something that works for everyone and then reducing that to writing so it's as clear if, if any questions are asked, this is something that the employee agreed to and something that you, you agree to as well. You can have employees, you know, have the option of getting legal advice on it if they want. Um, that is something that shows an openness, a transparency, a willingness to work with them. But I think you will find that once you actually have an engaging conversation where you appear to be concerned about not just your personal well-being, but the well-being of all the people who work for you, um, that you'll find that there aren't really that many challenges with making those, those adjustments. I think most people are just happy to have a job. Most people are happy to be employed, to be in, in a position to pay their bills. They are primarily concerned at this point with their health and safety. And once you can show them that you are so concerned as well by implementing certain policies um, and discussing with them practically how that should work, then they will be happy to work with you. Um, that will be to change employees. at any time with mutual agreement. The risk associated with changing it without mutual agreement is that an employee can come and say that they were unfairly dismissed. Um, they can say that they've been constructively dismissed, where they can also claim wrongful dismissal. Um, those are two significant challenges that, that, that an employer can face, and you wouldn't want to have to pay an additional sum of money than what you might already have to pay after everything calms down. Now, of course, if an employee chooses to institute proceedings against an employer um, for unfair or wrongful dismissal, there's not going to be a requirement to pay today. But no one wants to be saddled with costs at a later date, not even knowing, you know, of course, how, how, how long this is going to last, what, it may have, what type of long-term impacts it may have. And also nobody knows how 2021 is going to go. No one knows what could happen. Nobody anticipated in 2019 that we would be in this position in 2020. So the best thing to do is to work with your employees to come to an arrangement that they're comfortable with, where they don't feel that they're being taken advantage of, where they feel like you appreciate it is in fact an agreement, the employment arrangement is an agreement, and that you want business to continue for everyone's benefit. I'm not sure if anyone has any questions or raising 
from, from what I have said or additional, additional questions. But I just wish people to know that you can't force someone to work differently. You can't force someone to take a reduced pay cut and continue working. Um, you can organize layoff in a short time, and those are things we'll discuss, but you can't force people to make fundamental changes to how they do work with you. But you can get them to agree. And that's what we're trying to hit home in this call. Feel free to place your questions into the chat if you may have, or you can click on uh, Q&A and we'll be able to see your questions. Okay, we have one question that just came in, Kristen. Uh, what happens if management wants employees to work from home, but some employees want to remain in the office? Okay. Um, ultimately, your, your responsibility as an employer is to ensure that there is safety and health in your work environment. So if they want to continue to come in, that isn't necessarily a problem. The issue is making sure that the environment itself is safe for the employee to work in. Um, so that's, that's, the first, that's the first option. If it is that you believe that your environment is such that it is impossible for the employee to be able to safely um, perform in the working environment, that it is not possible how you do business or what have you for the employee to be safe, then once again, you have to be having a conversation with them and saying it's really in your best interest to work from another location. Um, if they refuse to take that particular step, um, then that is when you might have to consider issues of um, laying off or redundancy because you're now saying that based on your particular working environment, it's not just a decision that you've decided to make, based on the particular work environment that you have, it is not possible for them to perform their functions in that environment and um, your obligation to them in terms of safety and health being maintained. Uh, so you might have to look at it from that perspective. But what I would recommend first is if you want some, if some employees prefer to work from the office and others prefer to work from home, that you try to set up the office in a way to facilitate um, as safe an environment as possible in terms of um, this safe distances uh, between employees, ensuring there's um, sanitizer, facilities to wash their hands, and everybody understands the strict rules that, that apply. Of course, this is also something that's the subject of another call later on today, where we'll look at health and safety in a little bit more detail. Okay, we have another question. During short time, will you be entitled to NIS for loss of wages? Um, during short time, you're actually entitled to an unemployment benefit. So, so based on the, I'm not sure if the government is, is intending to make any changes to the legislation that, that presently exists. Um, but an employee who is placed on short time, which technically means that they're earning less than half of what they would ordinarily earn in terms of a weekly wage, um, that employee is entitled to claim unemployment benefit as if they were actually unemployed. Um, and the unemployment benefit would be calculated, of course, based on the, the proportion of the reduced pay. As was announced by the Prime Minister last week, she did say that the board had agreed to pay 60%. Um, the normal legislation, as I said, provides for, um, it has to be less than half of what you would ordinarily earn. 
But when she did her, when the Prime Minister did her presentation, she mentioned, for example, if you had one day or two days, um, as opposed, if you worked two less days and were then paid only for three days, that would still be more than half. But her suggestion was that you might still be able to claim an, a benefit of up to 60% of what you would have lost in those days. So it seems to me just from that, that it would have to be that there is some agreement on the part of the national insurance to actually provide that form of payment, um, even if it's not less than half. But that's what presently the law allows for a claim to be made once it is less than half of what the person would ordinarily earn. Yeah, uh, most definitely, Kristen. Um, the PM did uh, make that announcement, and we at the BC we are awaiting the details. And once we are in receipt of that, it will be circulated to our membership. And mm -hmm. to add to what you would have stated, um, if that actual process, just to remind persons that when they do place the persons on short time, that the termination of the certificate will still need to be completed and given to the employees to follow the new process, which is the online process of submitting that certificate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's 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 really how, how one would address that question. And the truth is that that is also something that would have to be subject the subject of mutual agreement. Um, there is ordinarily a time frame that is set um, in the legislation. Um, I think that's six weeks that um, an employer would have to give notice of an intention to place on short time and engage in negotiations with the person. Those are legal requirements, but there is a, a provision that allows for in certain exceptional circumstances such as these for agreement to play a role. And therefore, if you can get your employees to agree and you submit the necessary documentation to the, to the chief labor officer, then you should be in compliance with the law. And if, and if you check the onto our website um, under the BEC toolkit, there's a layoff short time guidance that we have there, which would also have the email address that you can send to the CLO. I think it's CLO at labor.gov.bb that you can so you can send the letters there to have that special provision put in place to have it expedited. Yes. Yes. Sorry, we have another question. We were unable to source hand sanitizers and management prefers employees to work from home for the safety of all staff. Although this was communicated, some employees still want to work from the office. Is there anything management can do? Hmm. Okay, so the, so the employers have provided, they've been unable to source hand sanitizer, but hand sanitizer is not the only way that an employee um, can ensure their safety. What the employer may need to do is to implement a policy for employees to wash their hands, let's say every 20 minutes, every 30 minutes. Um, there might have to be broader policies put in place, um, encouraging those employees, if they, if, if they can, encouraging those employees to get sanitizer of their own, um, but also make sure that you have soap, um, certain types of soap and water available to do that, disinfectants in the area, um, sound cleaning policies, distancing as between employees and so on. There, there are adjustments that you can make, but once again, it comes down to mutual agreement. So if you have if you've said to your employees, this is what I am proposing for you to do in order to maintain your safety, your employee comes and says, um, I prefer to work from home, 
then the only alternative at that point is to comply with the other recommendations for working in the work environment. Um, if it is that they're unable to, to take those particular steps, um, unwilling to take those particular steps, then you have to look at the extent to which they themselves are um, not complying with what is required under their contract to perform their job function. Because to perform their job function, they have to be doing it safely. And it may have to be a point where you look at whether that in and of itself amounts to layoff. Um, I do think that that is a question which is best placed to a specific attorney who has regard to the way that you do business and can actually identify the ways in which you can comply with your safety and health at work um, obligations um, while not in any way, um, sorry, while still complying with the general terms of employment law. Um, as I said, everything is fairly fluid at the moment, especially because a lot of these are things which we've never had to encounter before. But I certainly would recommend that if that is what your employees are looking to do, that while I can provide this broad um, advice, I think you should perhaps engage an attorney or even a human resources specialist, but to actually evaluate the specific circumstances of your business to see how best adaptations can be made to, to that in order to comply with your legal obligations. So we have another question following on from the earlier question on loss of wages. Uh, the question is, is that 60% based on maximum insurable earnings? Yes, no, well, no matter what, no matter what NAS does, every payment that they make would have to be based on insurable earnings. Um, I, I don't know there's any power in law for them to, to take any of those funds and apply them beyond, beyond that. Um, whatever payments are made for um, employment benefit and so on, everything is based on insurable earnings. Okay, one more question. What happens if it is 30 hours worked out of 40 hours? Is this considered short time? Any compensation from NIS? What about reduction in wages agreed by the manager and employee? For example, 20% reduction in wage. Any NIS benefits? Okay, so as I indicated, the, the strict legal position right now is that it has to be less than half of what the person is earning, right? Less than half of what they would ordinarily earn. However, based on the announcement by the prime minister, it would appear that there is a, an additional level of leeway that's being applied by national insurance. And based on Dylan's comment, I understand that they're actually waiting for clarity on how that is actually supposed to be practically applied. Um, if it was last week, my answer would be no. If the person works 30 or 40 hours and only earns three, earns three quarters of their ordinary salary, there would be no unemployment benefit for them. Um, but if it is that the government is making adjustments to make it easier for people to maintain employment, um, then we would have to wait to hear the specifics of that. Um, relative to the reduction in wage, as I said, short time itself has to do with a reduction in, in income. So if NAS is making that adjustment, and they are saying, well, if it's one day a week that you aren't, um, sorry, if it's 20% if it's less, we will give you up to 60% of that 20% um, that you would have had, then um, that is something that would have to now be legislated 
um, by, by law. But let's say you agreed with your employee to pay them 60% less, then yes, they would be able to claim a short time because they're, they're earning less than 50% of what they ordinarily would. Okay, another question. Once employees are once employees agree to work from home, if the COVID-19 uh, pandemic continues longer than say a month, at what mm -hmm. stage is it recommended to issue uh, a demand to contracts of employment um, RE home working? Okay, so I actually recommend that when your employees agree to work from home, you issue an addendum. Um, that's something that you should do at, at the beginning and then have that addendum have a time frame so you can have it have one month at a time and then have the employee re-engage um every month um you can also have the actual addendum be so specific as to speak to COVID-19 um but I, I recommend having a short time frame as I said like a month and issuing addendums every every month or every two weeks, whatever period it is that you suggest, just on a, on a rolling on a rolling basis. Okay, I'm not seeing any more questions. So I'll say okay, that that is possibly the last one. Mm -hmm. Sorry, just give me a second. I'm just checking our Facebook to make sure that there are no questions there as well. Okay, so there are no further questions. So I guess we can go ahead and um, wrap up this session. We wanna thank all you guys for participating with us and sharing your questions and, and giving us an opportunity to all learn from each other. Thank you to Kristen and Dylan for taking the time out and sharing your knowledge with us. We definitely appreciate that. Uh, do stand by for our next upcoming webinar. It's going to be at 3 p.m. today where we actually dive into uh, safety and health practices. We're going to be looking at health and safety practices for our essential service. Uh, so we're going to be talking a little bit about employee health screening, like temperature checks, enhanced PPE, and loss of prevention considerations. So you can stay tuned for us. We're going to also be live as well again. So you can check us here on Zoom and also on our live on Facebook at 3 p.m. Thank you guys for watching. Bye. Bye. Bye.